Okay, welcome to High Cheese. Today is Friday, December 16th, 2022. And I just want to go right into this RNC controversy about their spending. And I just want to read a quick article from Red State Magazine. And the headline says, Exclusive analysis of RNC spending since 2017 shows millions were spent on private jets, limousines, luxury retreats, and Broadway shows. And it goes on to break down what the the spending that the RNC uh, has made. And it's quite startling. And I don't care where you're from. It's a lot of money. And let's take a look here at the RNC's 2021-2022 spending. And uh, let's take a look here. Luxury travel. They spent $1,364,000 on luxury travel. Private jets, they spent over a half a million dollars. Floral arrangements, they spent $321,000. Home improvement and decor, $165,000. Entertainment, $75,000. Food and beverage, $65,000. Clothing retailers, $64,000. Non-clothing retailers, $55,000. Alcohol, $36,000. Spa and cosmetics, $7,000. And look, this is a lot of money. Now let's take a broader look at the spending. And this is going to cover their time period since 2017. So from 2017 to current date, the RNC spent $3.1 million on private jet services, $1.3 million on limousines, and chauffeur services, $17.1 million on donor mementos, $750,000 on floral arrangements, and $80,000 in alcohol-related expenditures. Nearly $400,000 has been spent on event tickets and other entertainment activities, including $30,000 for a private box at a Las Vegas Raiders game, $13,000 for Broadway shows, $9,400 at Madison Square Garden, and $43,000 at top golf locations in Texas, Nevada, Virginia, and Maryland. And this is just a sample. Someone pointed out that, look, we had some very close races where this money could have been spent on advertising, get out the vote effort, and it's rubbed quite a number of people, including myself, the wrong way. Look, I'm a finance guy. I understand what spending's all about. And this is an exorbitant amount of money. You know, they may come back and say, oh, as a percentage or the overall budget, it's, not a lot. it's a lot of money. And I find it unacceptable. And so I was just watching the war room tonight and uh, Steve Bannon had on Rona McDaniel, the current RNC chair. And she's trying to defend herself. She's saying, well, you know, all of this came at the behest of the White House. And then, Ironically, right after the interview, Bannon gets a, I I think maybe a Twitter or some kind of email that says that uh, from the the Trump uh, organization down in Mar-a-Lago, and it came from one of Trump's top advisors, I forget the name, and said, yes, a lot of this spending came at the behest of the White House. Well, quite frankly, I don't care. I don't care who it came at the behest of. It's a lot of money. And it's no excuse to put the, put the blame on the White House. Well, they, they told us to spend the money. Well, if you're the leader of your organization, you push back on that. It's a difficult situation, but that's your charge to push back on spe- this kind of spending. 
So if the White House says, ah, you know, can you pick up the tab for this? Say no. It's not about currying favor all the time. It's about running an organization. And you look at the MAGA people, the MAGA people, they look at these numbers and they say, wait a second, this doesn't represent me. And they look at Rona McDaniel. She doesn't represent me. She lo- People look at her uncle, Mitt Romney. He doesn't represent me. So this kind of spending is all foreign to MAGA. And whether the White House at the time requested this spending from the RNC or not, they've got to push back on it. It's clearly unacceptable. And again, it's another reason that we need a leadership change at the RNC. We need somebody to push back and say no. We don't need somebody that's going to try to curry favor with those people in charge because look where it got us. The legacy Republicans undermine the MAGA candidates in Pennsylvania, Georgia, Arizona. And people are going to say, oh, you don't understand what the, uh, you know, what the RNC is all about. No, we understand what the RNC is all about. And that's where we have reservations about making donations to the RNC. At least I did. I got hundreds of phone calls and emails over the past six months. And I said, look, I'm not donating to the RNC. And I think there's a lot of people out there that feel the same way. Because I don't know where the money's going. Is it going to support the right candidates? And that was my, really my position. But now I look at this spending. It's like, it's wasteful spending. And again, I don't care if the White House told you to spend this money. Say no. So we'll see on this. You know, again, my position is we need a change at the RNC. We need a leadership change. And again, call your state chairs and let them know that you want to see a change in the leadership at the RNC. So we shall see. Okay, let me just give you the latest grit and greatest on the Twitter files that are being uh, dumped uh, by Elon Musk. And here's what we know so far. We do know that Twitter interfered with the election. And the question is whether it is criminal or not. And there are some attorneys that will tell you that uh, it's not. And there are some attorneys that tell you that it is. You know, to interfere with uh, an election is quite criminal. And we do know that the executives at uh, Twitter spent more of their time trying to interfere with the election than anything else. So they suppressed Hunter Biden, among other things. They suppressed Hunter Biden's laptop story from the New York Post. And we do know that the executives were working in tandem with people from the DNC. So we're going to have to find out. Time is going to tell whether... These are criminal actions because uh, Twitter's a private company, whether they could do what they did. But here's the question. The question is, did they interfere with the election? Now, we all know that they did. And is there legal justification to pursue actions against these executives? Now, I think one of the reasons that Musk is doing this, and I like what he's doing, and transparency is great. But by him just coming clean with everything, is he inoculating Twitter today, as we know it, from being sued by anyone? Now, I don't know what the legal ramifications are going to be, but, you know, is Musk now going to say, hey, look, you know, don't sue Twitter now. It wasn't under the current management. We came clean with everything. It's under the old executives. We've got we got rid of them. So don't sue us. 
Go after the executives. And that may ha- that may happen. We'll see. Now, just two things that I do think potentially can be criminal is the involvement of the FBI and the Department of Justice and law enforcement on the federal level meeting with Twitter to affect the election. And they were kind of cute with this. Their defense is going to be, push comes to shove, and they get indicted, anybody uh, that's in the FBI about this. They're going to say, well, you know, we didn't, a- we didn't actually tell them to do this. Oh, we told them that. Yes, there's a lot of Russian inf- misinformation coming out. And expect it to be about Hunter Biden. Can you get any closer to telling them that the New York Post story is Russian in- misinformation? And the other thing I find startling is that Musk came out this week and implied that there was a backdoor that certain federal officials had to Twitter to suppress information about COVID and the vaccines. Now, I think that's a story in the making. But if a private company is giving a backdoor to the government to suppress information, that's a problem. That's a problem for the company, and that's a problem for those government officials that are doing the suppressing. And that's what I'd like to find out more about. And I think later today, I think Mike Taibbi, one of the uh, uh, reporters that you know, spoon-fed us these, uh, these files, he made a good point. He said, look, you know, you had the federal government, official from the federal government focusing on social media pages, but ignoring Child trafficking, pedophilia, it shows you the priorities of this federal government. And this is what I I find startling, and Taibbi finds it startling too. Oh, we're not going to look at pedophilia. We're not going to look at child trafficking. We want to get those Trumpers. We want to get MAGA. The heck with the children. We want to get MAGA. And this is going to get interesting. And Trump made a good move on Thursday when he announced certain things he's going to address about censorship if he's elected president in 2024. And I'm going to read an article from CNN, believe it or not. And let me just read it real quick. It says here, uh, Donald Trump vowed on Thursday that if he is elected president again, he would ban federal money from being used to label speech as misinformation or disinformation fire federal officials who have engaged in what he characterized as domestic censorship and punish universities engaging in censorship activities with cuts to federal funding. Trump unveiled his plans, which include proposed unilateral executive orders as well as legislation that would need congressional approval in a video on True Social. The first of several policy announcements to be released in his campaign for a second term. Trump proposed that certain federal and intelligence officials should be forced to wait seven years before working for certain tech companies to confront the problems of major platforms being infiltrated by legions of former deep staters and intelligent officials. He also proposed barring nonprofits and academic problems, I like this one, that censor speech from receiving federal funding. 
Trump said universities found to have engaged in certain activities, such as flagging content for removal, should lose access to federal research and federal student loan support for a period of five years or more. He also pushed to revise the Section 230, which currently gives legal protection to tech companies and allows them to moderate content. So this is good. And we shall see. Well, the Consumer Price Index came out this week, and we had a year-over-year increase of inflation at 7.1%. And let me just go to the details of what comprised a 7.1%. And we have food. Food was up year-over-year 10.6%. Energy. Energy is up 13.1%. Gasoline is up 10.1% year-over-year. Energy services is up 14.2%. Electricity is up 13.7%. Utility gas service is up 15.5%. New vehicles up 7.2%. Used cars and trucks down 3.3%. Medical care commodities up 3.1%. Shelter up 7.1%. Transportation services, up 14.2%. Medical care services, up 4.4%. And here's the funny thing. These talking heads and these these uh, CNBC types with an agenda that just want to see the stock market going up and up and up, they're trying to create this narrative now where, oh, you know, we really, uh, we, we the, the Fed should just accept the Inflation at four or five percent. That's that's what the Fed should do. Now, all these people care about is the Fed stop raising interest rates or start to lower interest rates. Because this market is so simplified today that it's all about interest rates. And these Wall Street types, these talking head types that just want to pump up the stock market, they don't care about you. They don't care about you paying five percent. They'll accept the 5% inflation rate because it helps their stocks. But you got to live with that. That's what it's all about for them. And that's all they've been trying to talk the Fed into doing. Oh, just accept 5% inflation. Stop the increases of interest rates. We want the stock market to go up. The heck with the American people. It's all about the stock market. And that's what we're dealing with today. But the Fed raised interest rates at by 50 basis points. And uh, what's 50 basis points is one half of 1%. The market got beat up. And I'll get into that later. But it's terrible. It's all about the narrative. It's all about the story. And this is what's dangerous today. It's not the, about the fundamentals of stocks. It's about the story. We've got to create a story that makes the stock market go up. And here's the latest story. American people have to accept 5% inflation. Not 2% that we've always been accepting, and which is what the Fed wants to target. Oh, it's got to be 5%. That's the story. And you know what happens if we let that narrative survive? We get stuck with high inflation. Why they get stuck making millions on the stock market. And that's what's dangerous. Now, I always said years and years ago, the stock market had a disconnect from Main Street. 
And before that time, I, I, I can't tell you at what point, but before that time, if the stock market was going up, it meant Main Street was going up. The, the rest of the country was doing well. We don't have that today. And now one of the reasons that we don't have that today, because it's all about cheap labor. So if these companies on the stock market can get cheap labor, which helped their profits goes up, makes the market go up, but it hurts you in the pocketbook because you can't get a job that pays a living wage where you can support your family. And when all these jobs were shipped overseas, when all these people that were making $100,000 20, 30 years ago in factories lost their jobs because we shipped them to China, it was good for the stock market, but not good for Main Street. So something's got to change. And hopefully we're in the change right now where we're coming back to normalization. What I mean by normalization is that in a broad sense, the stock market will reflect the American Main Street. So we shall see. Okay, let me give you a little update on Sam Bankman-Fried, the corrupt CEO of FTX. And he was arrested this week in the Bahamas, and I guess he's going to get extradited to the United States and face charges. But the interesting thing I find is that he was arrested a few days before he was supposed to talk in front of the House Financial Services Committee, which I found really odd. And the interesting thing I also find odd is that I think FTX contributed to every member on that committee. And one of them was uh, Lee Zeldin. But I just find it kind of odd is that uh, they had covered all their bases. And this is, look, I'm being a little cynical, but he was covering his bases. He was paying, he was making contributions to the Democrats, made more to the Democrats. I think um, Sam Bankman Freed's, all of his contributions were to the uh, to Democrats, and I think he had a partner. I think his name was Salmain, and he made he was the person from FTX that made contributions to Republicans. But I think far more money went to Democrats than Republicans. Far more. I mean, that's why Bankman Fried was number two on the donor list next to George uh, Soros. And donations. And I don't think the, the donations that went to the Republicans were anywhere near what was given to the Democrats. So he gets arrested. He gets put in the jail. He doesn't want to go to jail because he's a vegan and they don't serve vegan food in Bahama jails. <laughs> Which I found out. And, and it's so funny. There, there, there's something going on here. The kid's 30 years old. His parents were connected, well-connected in democratic circles. And, I, you know, I can't prove this, but were his parents the groomers? And did they use their son just to launder money to the Democratic Party and make money for themselves? I don't know. We're going to find out. But that's where we are today. And, you know, call me cynical, but I think that because FTX 
has paid off so many politicians. And who knows what he knows? There may be political pressure put to give this guy a slap, a relative slap on the wrist. I don't know. Well, we shall see. But it's going to be interesting. Now, I just want to talk about something odd. And I think it flew under the radar with a lot of people. But Nestle's announced this week that that it was investing, uh, I think, $43 million in a new facility in Ukraine. Now, you know, is the CEO, does he know what's going on? I've never heard of a company investing infrastructure in another country that was in the middle of a war. Now, to me, it tells me two things. One is that, well, maybe this is an indication that the war's going to end relatively soon. Or is this Nestle facility just a CIA front or some type of intelligence agency front to be used for some nefarious reasons? I don't know. I just found it really odd. I really have never heard of a company that invested in another country that was in the middle of a war. Now, I, you know, look, I, I'm sure that some people come back and say, well, you know, Wall Street invests in the Nazis during World War II and these banks invest in these different countries in World War II. Yeah, but, you know, to actually put up a, a, a structure, $43 million structure in the middle of a country in the middle of a war, I just find that odd. Now, while we're on the subject of Ukraine, I guess the United States announced that it was going to send or is in the works of sending Patriot missiles to Ukraine, a battery of Patriot missiles to Ukraine. Now, Patriot missiles are the most sophisticated anti-air defense missiles on the market right now. And from what I heard, it takes about six months to teach the Ukrainian soldiers how to use the Patriot missile. So I, again, I, you know, I'm not sure what this, how to take this. Is this just a message from the United States to Russia? Hey, yeah, we're really going to amp things up. So let's, you know, let's settle this before things get bad. And Russia responded and said, look, this is really, you're really elevating. The United States is really elevating things with, with this. Because the thing that worries me, are they actually going to bypass training the Ukrainian soldiers on the Patriot missiles and just using American military? Now, if that's the case, you now have boots on the ground in Ukraine. And it just escalates things. So who knows with this? And the one thing, I, I heard a report. I, I'm not sure that it's true, but I heard a, a report that the Ukrainian first lady was in Paris doing some fundraising for the Ukrainian effort. And in the middle of this fundraising effort in Paris, she spent an hour or two, and she spent 40,000 euros on clothing and other items. Now, I hope it's not true. Because if the Ukrainian people find out about this, and it is true, this is a problem. I, would, I'm, I, as an American, have a problem with it, too. We're funding all this war machine, and we're funding the Ukrainian government, and the first lady of Ukraine is out spending 40,000 euros in Paris? Well, I'll look more into that, and we shall see. Now, I think it was three or four episodes ago, I had mentioned that one thing we have to watch out for with the Democrats, they love to get ahead of the curve on certain things in a way to cheat Americans out of uh, elections. And uh, I had warned everyone that we have to be on the lookout for ranked choice voting. But to my surprise, 
It's Republicans that are pushing this. I just read an article where Secretary of State Raffensperger in Georgia is going to propose to the state legislature to switch from binary voting to ranked choice voting. Now, from what I hear is that the, the, the legislature is not going to take it up, but I just find it really ironic that it's right now it's not coming from the Democrats. It's coming from Republicans, a legacy Republican. So again, this is a tactic now of legacy Republicans to prevent MAGA candidates or non-legacy Republican candidates. So well, I, I just find it funny and ironic. But anybody that is listening in Georgia, call your state house, call your state reps, and make your voices heard. So it looks like the California Commission on Reparations for African Americans is going to recommend, I think, giving $223,000 to every Californian that can show that he or she has roots to slaves? I'm not quite sure how that's going to work. And that's why I don't think that this whole thing is going to I'll be very surprised if California goes through it. I think the cost is uh, over half a trillion dollars. But you never know. They're Democrats. They're Democrats, and uh, Gavin Newsom, the governor, is thinking about running for president. So a guy like that's capable of doing anything. But let me just tell you about reparations. This country has already provided reparations to African Americans. First was with the Civil War, when hundreds of thousands of Americans died to help free the slaves. And secondly, the Great Society program in the mid to late 60s, early 70s, where Americans spent billions and billions of dollars on programs that predominantly benefit African-Americans on a percentage basis. So we've already had reparations for African-Americans, and it was paid for with the blood of Union soldiers fighting for the freedom of the slaves, and then the billions and billions of dollars that was put into these great society programs. Now, while we're talking about making it, these type of things transactional, oh, we're going to pay you money, we, were, we, we, we did you wrong, we're going to pay you money. Now, what I'd like to do is get a list of all these African-Americans that received reparations, and I want to do a family history search to see if any of my predecessors fought in the Civil War on the side of the North. And if I was really cynical, I would send a bill to every one of those African-Americans that received reparations says, hey, give me some of that. My forefathers saved your forefathers. So anything that you get, you owe some, me some of it. And that's how cynical we're getting with this talk of reparations. Now, the other thing, too, is I think there's a lot of these African-American talking heads, extremely liberals, that don't want reparations in the sense that it takes a little bit of their power away. Because with, with reparations, you probably will have closure on this whole issue of how African-Americans have been hurt. And they have been. But these talking heads and these African-American talking heads with their agenda, they suddenly lose that because they got to keep this whole America is bad, America is racist thing going because it makes money for them. 
So now with reparations, you take that away. I don't think they want that. That's not good for their business. So we shall see. I want to read an interesting article from the uh, Kaiser Family Foundation. And the headline says here, opposition to school vaccine mandates has grown significantly, study finds. And it says here, for generations of most American families, getting children vaccinated was just something to check off on the list of back-to-school chores. But after the ferocious battle over COVID shots of the past two years, simmering resistance to general school vaccine mandates has grown significantly. Now, 35% of parents oppose requirements that children receive routine immunizations in order to attend school, according to a new survey released Friday by the Kaiser Family Foundation. It says here, throughout the pandemic, the Kaiser Foundation, a nonpartisan healthcare research organization, has been issuing monthly reports on changing attitudes toward vaccines. The surveys also showed a growing political divide over the issue, and the latest study indicates that divisions now extend to routine childhood vaccinations. 44% of adults who either identify as Republicans or lean that way said in the latest survey that parents should have the right to opt out of school vaccine mandates, up 20% from pre-pandemic polls. Now, that's significant. And again, this is stemming from parents taking back their kids from these government-run indoctrination centers. And it's also the benefit of them actually doing more research on vaccines and understanding that there is a risk. So this is good news here. And as these reports come out, I'll try to keep you updated on them. Okay, let's go to the markets. And I'm going to read a quick article from CNBC. It says, stocks dropped on Friday, building on their year-end sell-off as fears grow over a recession taking place as the Federal Reserve continues to raise rates. So anyway, the Dow Jones Industrial Average lost 281.76 points or 0.85% to 32,920.46. The S&P 500 fell 1.11% to 3,852.36. Meanwhile, the tech-heavy Nasdaq Composite declined 0.9% to 10,705.41. The index has notched a second consecutive week of losses. The S&P fell 2.08% for the week and putting its December losses at 5.58% as hopes for a year-end rally fizzle. The Dow and Nasdaq slid 1.7% and 2.8%. 7% respectively. For the year, the Dow is down 9.41%, the S&P is down 19.17%, and NASDAQ is down 31.57%. Now, I just wanted to point out that the yield curve is still reflecting a negative real yield curve. And uh, the two-year bond is at 4.182%, while the 10-year bond is at 3.488%. And again, that reflects a recession. And we've been in this negative yield curve environment for quite a while now. You know, all indications are that we are going to go into a deeper recession. And uh, we'll talk later in a later episode about what we can look forward to in 2020. 
three. So with that said, you have a good week, and I will talk to you next Saturday. Thanks for listening.